That's how it starts. The fever, the rage, the feeling of powerlessness that turns good men cruel. Welcome, I'm Andrew Dice. I'm Stephen Colbert. And I'm Tim Rigby. And this is Batman v Superman by the Minute. A quest to rewatch and discuss and break down and lavish attention and get weirdly detail specific about Batman v Superman, the film by Zack Snyder, with help, as you will have heard from stunt coordinator Tim Rigby. We have begun our uh, the first part of our interview with Tim breaking down the Batmobile chase that kicked off in minute 76. We now arrive at minute, not even arrive at minute 77, we are flung through the air. <laughs> Along with a vehicle, uh, Wilhelm screaming the whole way into minute 77, where we go from the looming chase and the appearance of the Batmobile as like an idea to uh, a lot more of the actual technical stunt work and chase sequencing. I mean, we got into a little bit with Tim last minute, and that was really just a sample of like, if you like this Bat- Batmobile, this yeah. is, uh, I hope you uh, are buckled in. Cause, uh, cause there, there is, there is definitely more coming. We could do like a full kind of play by play, but far, part of the fun of having these guests on, like we did with Rich Citroen and the Nightmare, is that like recounting beat by beat of an action scene isn't nearly as interesting as kind of breaking it down with the person who actually made it. So yeah, I think that we can let our uh, discussion with Tim do most of the talking this time. It's a it's a highlight reel of of escalating moments: the harpoon drag, the unleashing of that car. The arrival of a machine gun, a car-mounted turret. Well, and yeah, in the moment where people's first viewing of the movie, just the slow dawning of like, oh, oh Batman's just going all out. So, um, and we'll, we'll talk about that with Tim as well. He already kind of was setting himself up for exactly this kind of unleashing, right? This shouldn't have been a surprise to anybody. Like, we just talked about this. He what He literally just told Alfred... Right. Oh, the the one percent doctrine. Yeah, like he literally just re- recited Dick Cheney to Alfred. Yeah, so count I don't the know dead. Who was Steven. expecting? <laughs> I don't know who was expecting this to go any differently. No, ironically, I, uh... people did count the dead in this scene. Yeah, we get um, a cool mixture of practical and digital effects. I do want to call out the always really convincing slide of the car into that concrete barrier that. I am sad to report on closer viewing seems to take the Fight Club spectator played by Rich Citrone out of this movie. You will be missed, Fight Club spectator. <laughs> Fortunately, we know that Rich continues on in the movie to uh, even more epic action. But if you like fire, boy, you're going to love the rest of this minute. So uh, let's continue with uh, talking with Tim Rigby about all of this stuff and Weird things scattered in along the way in minute 77. If you thought getting T-boned by the Batmobile and flung through the air into like a remote construction office was bad, things are just getting started. Zach, actually, um, one of the things that he called out in his commentary, there's two cases where the car flips. I think one when it gets rammed and then another time when it's the fish on the line at the end, yes. it flips up there. And he called out one of those to say it, there, there was something special that happened like when it was shooting, that the way it landed or the way it <laughs> flipped was like so perfect 
that they said let's it's just too perfect. I don't know if you have any insight to what happened with that on on set. I was always really curious, like what he meant by. Like how do you how do you plan a car flip? Is that you just kind of see where it goes, or is there <laughs> is there like rocket science involved in making sure that it flips the way you want it to cinematically? <laughs> Sometimes you get lucky. Um, from memory, we so that was the the initial punt was the Smashmobile just driving into it, doing the, doing what had been rehearsed, and then it's cut to uh, the effects department. They motivated that car. I don't remember now if it was a wire wrap or how they did it, but it landed in a, um, like a, one of those portable offices. Yeah. Most to smash into it. And it, it landed like perfectly on top as, as far as I remember. <laughs> and so I think that was one of those, if, if, if that's what Zach's referring to, I think that was, that what, sounds like what it is. Yeah. Cause it landed on top of it instead of going through it. Yeah. And I do remember at the time, everybody was, sort of blown away because they looked great but it wasn't what we thought was going to happen what's what they call that happy mistakes right i think that's what uh oh geez what's his the the painter <laughs> would call it little happy, oh, happy bob mi- ross yeah that's what bob ross would call yeah, that yeah, yeah. happy mistake <laughs> action sequences by bob ross yeah yeah which with car stuff there is uh, there is a lot of that and you could you know experienced directors like a, an inexperienced director might say to you know if you're going to turn a car over a a cannon roll or a pipe ramp and they'll go no i want to where's it going to land where's the camera and you could go well somewhere between here and here but don't put a camera <laughs> there unless it's in a crash box and there's no one near it because and they and you know so the 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 more experienced directors realize that this is what it is we're gonna we're flinging a heavy object here <laughs> it's sort of going to do what it's going to do and you know we have a rough idea where we think it's going to go but from a safety standpoint and a filming standpoint you sort of have to take into account that it's not precise. Now, is, is this all single camera, or did he have a couple options? For that one where, particularly, where it went into the, the office build? Well, for any of this. I know Zach has a, a bit of a reputation for, for being relying single camera, I think, more than a lot of other directors. <laughs> other directors would, yeah. Likely, because he has it all planned out. So I didn't know if that was true for kind of all the way through, or if there's certain scenes where he's like, look, I'm just going to capture this from multiple angles in case the one that I want doesn't work. Well, mostly... It, I, I, the chase was mostly filmed from the um, camera vehicle that has this sort of um, movable arm on it. And there's a couple of different companies. There's the ultimate arm, the Russian arm. I don't, I don't quite remember which one we have, but they're very good. They're built on this. Um, they use, they're either built on a Porsche Cayenne or another one's built on a Cadillac Escalade. And they're, and you know, they're, they're high performance vehicles with this rotating arm above. So you, yeah, technically single camera and, you could say, and most of it was done with that with that Russian arm. I know I know there was cameras placed occasionally, but you're right. Zach does tend to um, not. He doesn't put a whole ton of cameras out like uh, some directors may. That brings up a fascinating point that I'm not sure I've ever considered. That we talk a lot about like stunt drivers and so the, the the driving that's happening on screen, but from a cinematography perspective. Not just the manning of the camera itself, but whoever's driving that car has to be pretty precise, I'd imagine. Oh, it's a stuntman. It's a stuntman so it is, it's another stuntman driving it? Yeah, I mean, these companies are usually, the drivers are, you know, they're, they're, they're specialist drivers, race car drivers, Baja 1000 racers. Uh, and because they're gearheads, they have to build this, these vehicles. So they're right. sort of one off. So, but yeah, they're, they're, they are working, they're on stunt contracts. They're right in the mix of all the mayhem. And so they have to be very precise. 
and they have the use very often they have the director in the car with them a dp with them you've got a an, a guy with a operating the wheels uh with a screen in front of him don't know how that guy doesn't get motion sick <laughs> that's great now whenever i see this i'm going to be picturing the batmobile screaming around these corners and, and larry fong in the passenger seat yeah. <laughs> hanging on for dear life <laughs> you mentioned something uh and i haven't really you're you're experiencing this live in the lifetime of our podcast steven i don't think i've ever connected the way that this Batmobile is driven to the way that Bruce drives in the opening sequence when he gets into his Jeep. Oh, that's a good point. And is tearing through because we said at, at that time, Tim, that he was distinguishing himself, you know, not just as a as a character different from other Batmen, where Affleck's portrayal as kind of a bruiser, a force in that sequence driving through Metropolis. He was smashing into other cars and cement, brick. It didn't matter. Were you involved in that part of the film? Yeah. Was that I'd like? Was that meant to be a, a shared tone between the two? That. Yeah, and um, the gentleman driving that jeep was also um, the gentleman that did a, an enormous amount of the Batmobile driving. So yes, he was he was um, definitely driving that aggressively. Um, that was a a pretty fun chase we did again, filmed with the Russian arm. Um, and, um, yeah, around that, around the streets of Michigan. I remember that vividly. I am curious to know, I don't know how specific you want to get Stephen here, but I, I do want to know <laughs> just for myself, the fish on the line, how do you approach that? Not only from like wanting to film things practically, but, you know, probably having DJ there saying like you could do more with visual effects, but then also the safety of the, the people involved, obviously. Yeah, I mean, with DJ and, and Damon, it's a great, great collaboration because early on, visual effects and stunts were, you know, they in, in other, never on the, these DC movies, but early on in my career, there would be some butting of heads. It'd be like, well, we can do this. No, we can do it. <laughs> Whereas it's, it's with Damon and DJ, it's what's best for the movie and what's, what, give, what gives Zach what he wants the best. There's no egos about, or we could do this, or we would, you know, our department wants to do that. It's it's a very, very cool collaboration. And I think most movies nowadays go to that, but they that kind of collaboration with DJ Damon and Zach really sort of, that set the bar in my mind. I mean, there's a lot of stunt coordinators uh, back then and second-year directors that didn't have a particularly good knowledge of visual effects, so they didn't know when it could be used effectively and when it should be used when it can be shared and you know dj's the same way he he would say well i prefer that part because i you know he he has a good understanding of the mechanics of movement and what he feels even if it, even at times if there was a reference dj will ask a lot of times for if something's going to be thrown i want at least a green cube to be thrown so that i have something to mm. sort of work with you know so it, it it, it flies through the air correctly, you know, things like that. So was there a, a shot, I guess, where the Batmobile was dragging a, a giant green cube? No, you know, I know that I was, I've been, I watched it again before a few times before we, we talked. Um, and that was one of those things where after much discussion, that was pretty much left up to DJ. And I think he did a fantastic job with it. Okay. So I'm trying to track the shot now to make sure I can, I, um, I like to find the, not find the seams because I don't know if there are any, but to the switch, right? <laughs> get conceptually. So, 
So you have the that first flip where it lands on top of the the mobile office, and then he hooks the the car with with the the fish on the line scene you're talking about. He catches a fish. Please, Stephen. Please yeah. use the the dialogue. <laughs> the fish. I'm going now. Yeah. So then, um, okay. So then DJ is responsible for creating the car being dragged, but then then at the end of that, is that a real car being flipped again? It ultimately ends up with that car being. Flipped swung onto another henchman's car if i remember right right. correct yeah yeah. i mean the the fact that we we have to ask the question i think tells you just how good that collaboration is yeah (laughs) yeah yeah, no completely it's a cool thing to realize that i think in previous batman films batmobiles were made to look good and then we'll do some movie magic to make it you know look like it's it's really performing as if this is a batmobile but i mean that makes it so much cooler that the performance of the car w- was just as important. And I do think uh, it shows, especially when you get later in, in the chase and it's, uh, I guess, fire bombs. <laughs> the minutes go by so quickly because it's so action packed. Uh, Steven, I know you're probably like rewatching the minutes as we speak. <laughs> you hear my space bar as I'm pausing. Yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well I know that we, you talked about how the, you needed to show the kind of durability or like the the fact that he can just blow through things with his batmobile he goes through vehicles he rams stuff he literally drives through a brick wall and then yeah. and then ramps off on top on top of the semi at one point then there's also a number of other less imposing physical threats that seem to escalate throughout it also so i think it starts off and you've got they're just shooting you know rifles oh, right, at yeah. him and then the back comes off of the SUV and there's like a Gatling gun <laughs> in the back of that. <laughs> and then they open the semi and they've got the the bazooka or whatever whatever it's that almost, was. It's like, almost like this was was pitched with with a grown man down on the floor with toy cars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would make sense. <laughs> and um, then they have a bazooka and a machine gun. So I don't I don't know if I even have a have a question because I guess they kind of, of course you, you planned it to escalate that way. I'd, I'd imagine, but like, is that, was there a specific reason behind the escalation of the weapons and the threats against him other than just ratcheting up the intensity of the scene? I think it was exactly that ratcheting up the intensity to, to, and to basically to no avail. They didn't put a dent in the Batmobile that he, as they ramped up their countermeasures, which makes it even more of a, more sort of jarring when he just hits this thing and stops dead after all this yeah all, all this mayhem at the the sort of the peak there when they shoot the the, the rockets at him the the batmobile fires all these flares and you said patrick Tatopoulos was so specific about the, the kind of the capabilities and the, the designs of the batmobile and you said you're not like the resident dc expert you kind of leaned on others for that were you given like a list of here is what <laughs> we need to sh- yeah like were you given a list of like here's the things this car needs to showcase over the course of <laughs> You know, it needs to show that it's got flares. It needs to to tow a car behind it, uh, smash through walls, or or did that kind of organically develop as the scene? That kind of, I mean, the car was when we got the car, it had already been designed and built, and any kind of weapon systems on it, that was all. I, I didn't have any input into that. that I'm, I'm presuming that's something that that Zach and um, Patrick had talked about extensively. Right. So as far as you know, when it fired its weapons and things like that. I didn't really have much to do with that, but when it came to what the car can do and, you know, personally I, I took a lot of interest because I'm kind of a gearhead too. And I, I'm a, I'm a pilot, I'm an aviation fan. So when I saw all these little, I was talking to Patrick about it. I said, this looks like a, this looks like a, you know, an, an aileron or this looks like an elevator off an aircraft. And he's like, good, I'm glad you, you know, because I, and I, I, I would be pointing this stuff out to, 
you know, people on the crew. And it, it wasn't apparent to everybody. So I really like that level of detail that sometimes it's lost even on the crew. But yeah, yeah, yeah. if if a you know a fighter pilot was to look up close, he he could sort of see some things that would were inspired by by a fighter plane. I'm not saying it's it's the yeah. same stuff, but the you know these cool little details that you know you, you'd have to study the thing and see it not just blasting through frame. You'd have to look at it and walk around it. So much detail. It was an amazing car. That reminds me of like the same level of like um, that's like that, that's what made a lot of things with like Star Wars famous was that kind of repurposing or like taking a visual language from from one thing and applying it to something else in a like taking a part of a real airplane or taking a part of a real you know whatever <laughs> and incorporating it into the design somehow. So it's it's always cool. I think that makes movies iconic when people recognize something that that makes it feel real. Um, but they don't, you know, not everybody has the expertise to know exactly why it's just, it's, it resembles an airplane or something, but they wouldn't know, um, you know, they wouldn't know what the actual part was unless, uh, you know, they had the background that, you know, you or Patrick or, or whoever does. Uh, you're, you're talking to the right two people here, Tim. Like we've, <laughs> we would be the people on set, you know, next to you going, oh yeah, like, yeah, oh my gosh. And the, I think, I think looking back, the, the Batmobile seemed so much like, um, a fighter jet. Like on wheels that when it fired off that chaff, I yeah. didn't even think it was just, yeah, that, of course he'd have that. You know, why wouldn't you? You're going to have a bazooka fired at you if you're Batman. And the Patrick's sort of um, knowledge of motorcycles came in, too, because the Batmobile, if you look at it from the profile, it's designed to look like the swing arm of a motorcycle where, where it would have a pivot point in the middle. And it was... I think Patrick and Dennis McCarthy went back and forth about actually building it that way. So it would pivot in the middle, but it's just, it was too problematic with a, a motorcycle can do that. Cause it's got a, a chain and sprocket that's, yeah. that's um, will float with the pivot point, but with a drive shaft, it wouldn't, it, it wasn't really that practical. So it's designed to look like a swing arm. It, 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 in, mm. as, as much as Patrick fought for it, we, we were unable, he was unable <laughs> to get Dennis to build it so that it would actually do that. Cause it, it, it doesn't, it would have to defy physics. Yeah. That seems like that's one of the areas where if you went with that direction, you need to get DJ involved maybe to make yeah. to realize it. <laughs> yeah. I'm always curious to ask people involved because it's kind of what Steven and I are doing. If there are moments that, that stand out to you as moments that like you are proud more than just that you did it, but something that you can kind of go like, Oh yes. Like that, that did turn out looking that good that would probably go unnoticed by like the casual eye as opposed to two, you know, people obsessing over this movie a second at a time. Yeah. I, so the second question, I, I definitely think there are parts of when that car is drifting that may go unnoticed because I, it's funny. Some of the younger audiences, I, I feel, and maybe not quite so discerning with car movement because a lot of the video games, when I see a car drift on a on a, a high quality video game, I, I'm instantly out. I can instantly see that they're they're making the car go sideways. But when you see the Batmobile drifting, when I see it drifting, I think your question about would that the things that I'm proud of that would go unnoticed, I think that might be one of them. Certain certain shots where it's just a brief moment of it drifting, and I know it's drifting, and I know it's drifting close to a lot of stuff, and I know it was very technical. And it's not really, uh, it, you know, some of the drifting shots where you'll see 
you know, there was a camera placed there, but we're, the camera is, is uh, as the audience, that's our eyes. So you don't really think about that, but that Batmobile is drifting close to that camera. And, uh, mm. you know, it's, it's, I, I think those are sort of the sorts of things that I think the audience thinks might think they look good, but they might not realize how tricky they were. Yeah. I, I hope that there are some moviegoers that will notice, you know, in those moments where, like you're saying, there's a, there's a power, um, behind it that, and a little, flirt of danger right that makes you respect the person behind the wheel i do think that comes across so you're right to call that out are you able to view it just as a um looking at the finished product not not dissecting it at any point is that even possible oh yeah as a fan you mean enjoying the movie yeah yeah absolutely you know there's always you're selfishly looking for the specific shots that you know were very challenging and that you're proud of and Mm -hmm. you know it's just it's part of the, the the job we have where that is a fleeting one second you know where you selfishly think oh, i wish they'd stayed on that longer but it doesn't move them <laughs> it's not your movie and it doesn't help the movie it's just an ego thing so um yeah there's some there's I, i'm i'm i don't know if i can point to one particular thing it's very gratifying to though look at something on film that started off with you know three grown men on their hands and knees with toy cars. It's, it, it is pretty great when you go, Hey, what if, what if he fires his harpoon here and pitches this and, you know, and, and all the sort of hours and hours and days and days of discussing it and then getting the cars back out again. And, you know, I keep saying the comedy, but somebody, you know, somebody will come into your office for whatever reason, <laughs> you'll be on your hands and knees on the floor. <laughs> and it's just, yeah, I'm, I'm, so you, it is. There is a sense of pride when you see the thing on film, and you were you were there as it was being decided and conceptualized. That's it's very rewarding. Maybe this train of thought it, it takes a weird turn, but <laughs> I um I I was on set. I got to see an Ardman claymation movie being made once, and uh, and they were talking about the the sort of the pre visualization process for like stop motion, and the director for all those movies actually like dresses up in costumes and portrays every single character. And there's like a cut, there's a cut of the movie that is comprised of just him doing all that, that they use as reference. And so it's fascinating over the years to have learned more about Zach's process and learn how very similar it is to kind of what they do to, to create animated processes. I know you referenced a Bible earlier and I know that storyboards are heavily referenced and I've had the pleasure of seeing some some previs and some stunt viz and some other stuff that's been created. So I've always thought it'd be really cool. I don't know if this is the type of thing that I feel like maybe the market of people that would be fascinated to see it isn't big enough and they don't want it out there because they worked so hard to make it look finished. But I've always been fascinated at the idea of seeing a a cut of the movie comprised exclusively of storyboards and previs and table reads. You know, so include like the chase scene to be a you know, footage of people playing with cars and, and like stitch that all together Just as if the it's sound. the final runtime. Yeah. But keep the, yeah, keep the sound effects <laughs> and the, uh, and the, the junkie XL and Hans Zimmer score. Um, I would, uh, I would definitely pay money to, to see that. That would be interesting. I just, I don't, those are, and it's a shame now that you say that, but you know, there's nobody, nobody was filming those early, you know, kneeling down on the floor in the in the office with playing with cars if if there had been somebody filming that that would have been yeah actually, well next time yeah next time yeah, tell I'm zach that, that steven asked to uh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. man well 
Thank you again to, to Tim, patiently just stopping and starting his conversation with us as we divide this up across the minutes. I know that, Stephen, this is going to crush you. Minute 77 ends not on a massive beat, but <laughs> I think the Batmobile kind of continuing from a fireball um, going under a bridge. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to be a lot more forgiving of that, um, uh, given the circumstances. <laughs> but, um, I mean, overall, altogether, this this section, I think I will find satisfaction in the way these minutes are divided up uh, when it's all said and done. So, no worries. Yeah, we, we are heading to our big finish uh, in terms of the action of, of the Batmobile in this sequence. And, sadly, the big finish of our time speaking with Tim Rigby. But, there's still a bit more to come in minute 78. Uh, in the meantime, you can follow us again on, on Twitter at BVS by the minute. You can subscribe to the podcast. Tell anybody else to listen to it. Uh, that's really the only way that we, we have more people finding this podcast, which is uh, always super fun. Um, review us if you like it. Uh, give Tim a great review. Why not? Uh, who wouldn't? And, um, <laughs> and, and strap in for the third act of an increasingly ridiculous, I was going to say chase, but now I'll say interview. <laughs> I don't know if it'll live up to that, but the chase definitely will. So until then, what, wait, no, what, did, the, what did the box say that the missile launcher oh, was in? Um, explosive projectile, I think. Incoming. Incoming.